the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 229. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Charlottesville, Virginia, because that's where I live, so represent and because of the bad things that have happened. So yeah, keep keep us in, in your thoughts there. Yes, and uh, Ed is not with us this time around, but uh, he he will be, he's expected to be back next episode. So with that, we're going to dive straight into comic news. We have uh, a bunch of stuff to cover. I forgot to mention, we're covering the weeks of July 30th through August 12th. We have a total of two books to cover in depth, and we have just a little bit of news. So let's just get into the news. So the very first thing we have is, uh, as I mentioned on the last episode, we had a number of interviews uh, that were conducted by Stella, and there was one by Josh that uh, they did at San Diego. If you hadn't had, if you haven't had a chance to check out those interviews, I implore you to check those out. Um, those comic creators that we had a chance to talk with include Tom King, Jody Hauser, James Tynion IV, Marguerite Bennett, and Julia and Shauna Benson. So be sure to check out all of those, especially the Benson one. I think is probably one of the better ones that we had. Oh, um, yes. Specifically talking about all kinds of really cool upcoming hints at uh, what we can expect in Batgirl mm-hmm. and Birds of Prey. So be sure Absolutely. to check that out. Um, other than that, uh, there was a, there was one DC all access video that posted in the last couple of weeks. Um, it was an interview with Tim Seeley and he was talking about Nightwing specifically Huntress coming into the book and spiral taking another and uh, taking a stab at spiral. I should say and, uh, again in the book um, since spiral hasn't been in the book since the beginning of rebirth. Um, other than that, there are two new uh, installments of last week in the Batcave. Um, highlights from those include there was uh, one piece of art that was shown from an upcoming Red Hood and the Outlaws book where Red Hood is holding some sort of red sabered sword, which uh, kind of looks like some sort of laser sword. I wouldn't go as far as to say a lightsaber because it does look like a sword, <laughs> not a beam of light. But it's interesting because Nightwing could end up having a sword instead of a um, instead of guns in the future. That's that's basically what I was getting from the piece. So check that out. Um, there's an extremely detailed piece of art by Sean Gordon Murphy um, from Batman White Knight, where Joker is surrounded by a ton of memorabilia, bat memorabilia. That is, I definitely, I definitely want you guys to check that one out because it is insanely detailed with the amount of work, including mini versions of uh, the Batman, the animated series, Batmobile um, insane amount. And then finally, the one other piece of art I want to quickly mention is there's a piece of art by Dustin. Wen. Uh, it was a variant cover that he did for super sons. Number seven, which has John Kent as Superboy carrying Damien uh, through the sky by the ends of his Cape as they fly next to a duck. It was a really cool piece, so I, I strongly suggest you guys check those out. But obviously, check out last week in the Batcave every Monday morning um, as we, as, as Jessica posts up tons of all kinds of art pieces and hints and uh, comments from comic creators that she finds out through the all over the web, um, and then basically puts them all together in a small little 
article that uh, we released on Monday morning. So be sure to check that out. Uh, the last piece of news that we have is uh, there was there was details related to the Duke Thomas Signal series. Um, we know that that actual that series is actually going to be coming in November. Um, as it was originally announced at San Diego, we were told it was a series, but turns out it's not a series. It's a three issue miniseries. So uh, when we were talking about Duke Thomas getting his own series last uh, episode, and Ed said, "Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't do it as a miniseries instead of an ongoing." Turns out it is a miniseries. It's only going to be three issues. Um, as we already knew, it's going to be written by Scott Snyder and Tony Patrick. Uh, the artist has been announced as Cully Hamner. Um, and the solicitation reads, Batman may own the night, but with new villains emerging during the day, he needs an ally to defend the city when he can't. Only one teen is up to the challenge, Duke Thomas. After months of training, he is ready to step out of the shadow of the bat and become his own kind of hero. Meet Gotham City's newest protector, The Signal. Uh, still don't like the name of the the of the signal. <laughs> da, but, da, da, da. It's like the the bat signals wandering around in an anthropomorphic form. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I still don't like the name, but I will say this: I'm I'm very glad that they are only doing it as a three issue miniseries. It could have been six issue miniseries. It doesn't matter. But the point is, it's a miniseries, which that's what makes me happy because it shows that there's not this like there's so many series that have that have spawned out of Scott Snyder events over the years that I feel they would have been better suited as miniseries. Perfect example would have been Talon. Talon, the first two arcs of that series mm-hmm. were really yeah. great, and then they just kind of fell flat. Uh, mm-hmm. Batwing, which spawned out of Batman Incorporated, oh. originally a different person, <laughs> and it was a, a Bat character who was based in Africa. Then they brought the character out of Africa, and then Luke Fox took over the mantle of Batwing here in Gotham City. But the reality of it, it was that the first the first arc, they had an intent with this David Z character as Batwing because it was spawning out of Batman Incorporated. Eventually, Batman Incorporated was no longer relevant amongst all of the other books. So they brought it back to Gotham and they had a new creative team start with Luke Fox. But again, I don't feel like that really had a necessity other than just to keep the series going because... They, they had a desire to have the series continue on. Um, but anyway, the point is, I'm glad to see that they are not afraid just to do miniseries that are still within continuity because this will be in continuity and not just the miniseries that we've we've been bombarded with the last couple or over the last month, uh, the announcements of all the stuff that's kicking off in October and November. It's good to see that there can be miniseries in continuity as well. So I'm happy about that. All right. So then outside of that, there is absolutely no other news. So as I mentioned before, be sure to check out the website for those interviews and be sure to check out the site every Monday morning for Last Week in the Batcave by Jessica. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the first one we have is Batman. This is Batman number 28, The War of Jokes and Riddles, part three. So we're back again in the main story, not with Kite Man, though he does make an appearance. Script, Tong King, pencils, inks, and cover, Mikhail uh, Yanin, or Janine, and colors, June Chung. So in this particular issue, we actually see a lot of Jim Gordon's involvement during this time 
of war. And we see in the beginning, it was a little confusing until a couple pages in why he's undressing and undressing in two different ways. But you see Jim Gordon in an orange prisoner outfit, as well as Jim Gordon in some uh, boxer briefs. So if you ever had a question about whether Jim Gordon wears boxers or briefs, the answer is yes, he wears both of them. So the idea was that he would meet with both Joker and Riddler to sort of suss out the situation and see what they wanted. And both of them, would you believe, came to the same decision that they the war would end if they were given Batman. And of course, that was not really going to happen. So <laughs> Batman and Jim talk about all of this on uh, the roof and just all the incidents that are going on around the city. At one point, randomly, Kite Man falls out, out of a window, and <laughs> it was because of Catwoman. It seems that Joker and Riddler are contacting everybody, and so if you don't join a side, then you're forfeit, your life is forfeit, and Catwoman wasn't about to join anyone. Batman and Catwoman hook up at this point, which I guess wartime is the best time. And then we have another thing where Deathstroke and Deadshot are both sent out to hopefully snipe Batman down. But it turns out they spot each other and they shoot. And of course, they're pretty well matched. So their bullets hit each other. And it takes five days. I repeat five days. And I yet again repeat five days for Batman to take them down. There's several casualties in this war between the two of them. All of them, of course, civilians. Batman's beating himself up. Catwoman's concerned with Batman as he's relating all the stories so you can tell that the five days really broke him down a little bit and that that basically is the issue uh the it ends again on the roof with jim and batman and batman is narrating the fact that he really did a lot to uh floyd lawton and um he has massive head trauma so again you can see just the how much I think it was weighing on him that it took five days and then he really took it out on him. So potentially another rookie move uh, for Batman. Number one, that took him so long. And then number two, that he hurt someone so much. So this is part three. So I was trying to think of what, to do with this questions and things like that i would like to because i think he is more of a focus in this particular issue you know batman's always a focus but here we have jim gordon so uh it takes him a couple parts to actually come into this story and i was also actually trying to think about the last time we saw him play a heavier role we're on issue 28 and i i couldn't think back to when we saw him in a heavy role past super heavy that run so what are your thoughts on seeing jim gordon again and being more of a focus in this story do you think it is he well used or because it's a batman story should we have just focused on batman or do you think it's good to bring jim gordon back into the fold i think it's important to have jim gordon in the fold um i think after super heavy the last time that he appeared was the very end of batman and robin eternal i think was the last time we saw him (laughs) Wow. Okay. So it has been a while then. Yeah, it's definitely been a while. I think that it it was basically after he came, after he was no longer Batman, they kind of didn't do anything with him for a while. And then he just appeared when Batman was back in the role of of being Batman and they were meeting each other up on the rooftop. And that was basically the last time I think we saw him in a, in any sort of major way other than just, you know, in passing. Um, 
but I, I think it's in, extremely important to have Gordon in it. I mean, the one catch is that obviously um, this this version of Gordon is still taking place in the past. It's not actually the present. So because it's the past, we you know it's not. It, it's kind of like a. It's not really, you know, an up-to-date Gordon. I mean, yes, I think to answer your specific question, it's important to have Gordon in the mix to have him involved in the stories. Mm-hmm. Gordon is a supporting character who has existed just as long as Batman and Bruce Wayne. He appeared in Detective Comics number 27 right alongside him. So there's no reason I I think that Gordon should be, you know, forgotten by any means, but I also feel as if there's you know, there's there's room for the char- the supporting characters in this specific title of Batman to be much more elaborated on and and built up more than they they currently have been. It feels as if like they're doing a great job of building characters over in Detective Comics, but that has strictly to do with the characters that are specifically being focused on and and not a whole lot of other characters. We've seen some other characters pop in like Leslie Tompkins has made an appearance right. and there's some, you mm-hmm. know, Nomaz, which oh, and that's sure. really pulling, but it, it's, that's a character <laughs> that's part of as well supporting, supporting uh-huh. cast. I mean, like they're doing a good job over there. This book feels like there's not a whole lot of like world building per se happening mm-hmm. over here. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important for any title, regardless of whether you're focusing on, a bat team like in detective comics or batman you have to have more characters that you're focusing on and 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 i know that they've been doing or tom king's been doing it with uh selena kyle and catwoman but i feel like they really need to do it more so and these weird moments where they just have other characters popping in for you know a couple pages you know just to give them a quick focus it's not really building their characters so mm-hmm. Why, as a follow-up question to you before I give my thoughts, why do you think this part, this particular episode in the arc that they brought him in and they didn't bring him in in the beginning? Uh, out of crazy necessity. I mean, you could, you could basically ask the same question about why did Deadshot and Deathstroke show up? True. And why are – I mean, like Deathstroke, who is normally perceived as a DC villain – or even more, maybe like more specific, a Teen Titans villain, Titans villain, mm-hmm. be, tr- you know, bother himself with this trivial war between Riddler and Joker. It makes no sense as to why he would get involved other than he's just a similar mirrored image or mirrored version of Deadshot so that they could have, you know, some symmetry between the characters facing off against each other. There's no real reason I think that you know he was pulled in at this specific time. Um, should he have been brought in earlier? Yes, definitely. Because yeah. if anything, because this is taking place during Batman's early days, they should be having showing that relationship between Gordon and Batman more because it was the early days. It can be explained why they don't talk as much now. Um, mm-hmm. You don't really see Batman interacting with the police all that often nowadays, um, but they definitely should be focusing on the relationship specifically between Gordon and Batman because it's taking place so early in, early in Batman's career. Yeah, it is interesting because this feels like the interaction between the two of them, at least from Batman's mouth, that they've been dealing with each other for a while, which seems counterintuitive to the fact that this is early in his career because I guess it's the first page, uh, the bottom right panel. It says, do you ever listen to yourself? He said, so this is Batman saying what Jim said. And then 
Um, Batman says, I bet you do. And then Jim says, but honestly, pal, do you ever believe what you hear? And I can totally see, you know, Batman and Jim being in a great relationship five years later. But now it seems like there would be a different dynamic with them at because I think we're sort of in that sweet spot where Batman is still mistrusted by most of the police. And I think Jim probably trusts him and is on his side, but I don't know if they've had that relationship for long enough. So there is sort of this interesting, still trying to figure out the timeline of this. We know it's early. I guess it's just so vague. And, and I guess maybe we're just too nerdy to want a number of, you know, what year is this exactly? But he's making mistakes, so it's clear it's early. But then this sort of seems like they've been dealing with a lot. Hey, I love Jim Gordon. And I think, you know, it's obviously Batman, but I think Jim is such a, a big part of Batman's life that we should see him more frequently. And he is, I'd say, one of the main minor characters, if we can even consider him minor. And I'm fine with characters flitting in and out, but I, I think he is one of the people that needs to be a mainstay. I mean, he, he if I'm to come, it's been a while, so I think you can forgive me this. But in Spider-Man, he's very much like J. Jonah Jameson. Like J. Jonah Jameson, I guess you could consider him a major character but it's he's not spider-man but yet he appears in nearly you know every issue and he's with both sides of of uh peter parker's life but here you know we have someone who's very similar that should be appearing more frequently and we haven't really seen that and i think if he's not going to appear in detective then it needs to be in one of those books and so obviously it needs to be batman um what was my original question? Oh, just that he popped up here. I think I was shocked, I guess, uh, that it happened now, which is why I asked why did it happen now, because it's part three. But my more, I was more shocked the fact that I was trying to figure out when the last time was that I even saw Jim Gordon in this book. I, I We see him in all, maybe that's why, because we see him in All-Star Batman more often. Um, obviously, he appears in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, which I think to a certain extent, or Batgirl, which is, you know, necessary. But it just seems very odd that he's popping up here and now. You'd think it would have been earlier, especially when the war broke out, that he would want to talk to Joker and Riddler. But all of a sudden, you know, the war's been going on for I don't know how long, but... Uh, there's been casualties already. There's been problems. I think he would have done this uh, talking to both sides a little earlier on. So it seems like a strange time for Tom King to bring him in. He needed to be brought in, but I think earlier is my thought on that. My other question is actually about <laughs> Deadshot and Deathstroke. And this is called the Battle of <laughs> the Snipers. And uh, I could, in fact, ask why they are there, but we've seen them clearly. We can tell that but, you know, I guess it was the first issue where we saw the splash page of, oh, I guess it would be been the second part, where we saw the villains and who was on whose side. And this makes sense that they would run up against each other. But it goes on for a while. And so my question is, do you think, what do you think about the storytelling that this battle goes on for several pages? I mean, I half maybe 
And we also see just the breakdown of Batman in this and the fact that it took five days. We see the small is sort of a decrescendo and then crescendo because they go down to small weapons and then bring it back up again. And then he breaks down and everything. What is the purpose of showing all of this? Do you think it takes up too much space? And could this have been given to other storytelling? Or is this just uh, we've noted before that Tom King really makes a splash, I think, with issue number one, but then starts to sort of slow down a little bit in the middle and then paces back up. And is this just another uh, thing that Tom King is doing? Well, I think there's a very specific reason for this occurring. I don't agree with the way it's, you know, the way it's happening. I don't think that in any way this would have ever needed to, or it, it should have lasted this long. I feel like, you know, the police Batman could have gotten more involved and ended this, this entire situation where you know, the, the death toll wouldn't have racked up to where it was. Mm -hmm. But I think the whole reason it did last as long as it was is because this is playing into the idea that this is all happening because Batman, or this is why Batman feels so guilty about this whole situation is because so many innocent people died and the death toll did get racked up and that this is why he feels guilty. So Mm -hmm. despite the fact that this is played up, way more than it probably needed to be. And the fact that it lasted page wise so much longer than it probably should have. (laughs) It's, it's clearly just building this idea that there is a significant death toll because of this war. And it doesn't necessarily have to do directly with Riddler and Joker. It could have to do with two other opposing villains like Deathstroke and Deadshot. And that's why Batman feels so guilty about this war, but I'm almost positive. That's the reason why it's drawn out so long. It's just because Mm -hmm. they're trying to really drill in the idea that this is really bad. So that later on when he explains, you know, the final death toll of the of this, this war that, that has occurred, he can sit there and say, you know, and I couldn't do anything to stop these deaths and I feel super guilty for all of this. And that's what I feel is going to end up being the ending to this is basically all these innocent people died because of it. He couldn't figure out how to end it, even though he's Batman and he probably should have, it just Mm -hmm. feels a little too convenient that, you know, the worst thing that ever happened is something that he at the time believes he has absolutely no control over, but he still feels super guilty about it. Like there, it'd be different if like he felt guilty about it and he could have stopped it. But if he could have stopped it, then he should have stopped it. It's not like yeah. he's being, you know, he's locked in a cage and he's just having to witness everything on a TV screen. That's, that's the disconnect for me is like, they're just showing him as he's incompetent and he can't stop it. But somehow because he's incompetent, he is, he feels completely 100% guilty for all of these deaths. And that's, that's my concern with the direction of where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. It's just that, the characterization of Batman is your concern? Oh yeah. The characterization of Batman and the fact that like we're choosing to use these weird matchups to basically reiterate the death toll and then prove the guilt even further just because that's the goal we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah. It's uh, I, <laughs> we're sort of turning a corner with Batman and and it just seems like everything that happens is his fault in, in his mind. Uh, you know, we, we saw that in detective quite recently. And, and I think with this a lot of, and for anyone to do that, 
I just feel like emotionally and psychologically, they can't take that much. So I'm not really sure how this characterization of him can hold up without destroying themselves from the inside out. Uh, but but I do agree with you. I, I think the sequence went on too long, if only because he repeated five days so many times. And it was either it took five days or on the fifth day, five days. It, I, I didn't count because that would be obnoxious for me to say that. But it happened so many times that I thought, my gosh, I understand you've made your point, you know, move on. And and he's like breaking down. It was almost like a cyborg that was like five, five, five days. And, you know, Selena's there like, are you okay? Um, I do. It was an interesting matchup. You know, I think you could have potentially put in any two people. But this was nice in the way that uh, very much they mirror each other because who else would have such a close connection? Uh, not connections, not the best word, but who would be so similar than Deathstroke and, and Deadshot potentially. Um, though I, I guess I always thought that Deathstroke would probably be a better hand to hand combatant than Deadshot. Um, but I guess I'd have to do more research on that. I, uh, definitely, I definitely agree with that. And I think yeah, Deadshot's a better okay. marksman too. Yeah. Deadshot's a better marksman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. But we'll go with this. Um, yeah, I think the point is, I, I totally agree with everything uh, that you say. I, I think it also, again, we're going back to the fact that he's. I guess a rookie or an amateur. So we're seeing this breakdown of these mistakes that he's making. So it's almost as if this whole story is coming down to, you know, things I could have done better in my first year's Batman, even though we don't know if it's his first year, but it's just like pound, pound, pounding him down. Um, So this is like a really, it's not like Batman has ever been the most uplifting book ever, but, I feel like this is a really negative interpretation of Batman and it's coming from Batman's own mouth. But um, yeah, I don't know how anyone really could survive all of this that he's like taking on his, uh, on his shoulders. So it just gets worse and worse. And I feel like we're not done yet, but um, I, I don't know how often I feel. I hope I'm hopeful that this is the only time that this happens with this, like multiple page spread of a war happening and Batman losing control and not being able to handle it because I, I don't want to read subsequent issues where there's another matchup and more people die and he has a breakdown. So I hope this is a one and done situation because it was bad enough. But uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. I don't know if you had anything else you want to talk about on this issue. No, no, not this time around. I mean, I, I was pretty straightforward and your questions pretty much matched up with what was actually happening. So I'm going to give this issue a total of three out of five. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. Three out of five. All right. And over on the website, Matthew also gave it three out of five. So it's going to give Batman a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 962, written by James Tang IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. In the violent storm crashing through Jean-Paul Valley's mind, the child Ascalon continues to try to murder Jean-Paul's friends, but a gigantic figure of a Batman looms over the Tempest, challenging the artificial intelligence to a fight. The Bat calls Jean-Paul to wake up, and we see through his visor, Luke Fox, explaining that the Bat figure is another artificial intelligence designed to give Jean-Paul's mind assistance in resisting the system of Ascalon. 
Luke and Batman ask if Ezra is okay, and Jean-Paul responds that he's ready to fight. In the Belfry, Ascalon's primary robot body faces Clayface, defending Nomaz. Though Clayface gives it all, all he's got, Ascalon disables him. Before he can destroy the buildings, Zatanna and Batman arrive, and the magician makes short work of Ascalon's commandeered Batwing robots. Inside, Batwoman and Cassandra assist Nomaz to safety, but he insists on seeing Jean-Paul. Azrael himself, however, arrives on the scene and challenges Ascalon directly. Nomaz escapes from Batwoman and Cass and rushes to where Azrael and Ascalon fight in a brutal combat. But just as he tells Jean-Paul that he and Ascalon are brothers, the artificial intelligence cuts his throat with his sword. Holding his dying mentor, Jean-Paul learns that his father, Jean-Paul Valley Sr., is the is the one who activated Ascalon. In a rage, Azrael punches through Ascalon's chest, allowing Luke to attempt to inject the Batman artificial intelligence. But Ascalon threatens to turn every device in Gotham to his will, destroying all the sinners there. Zatanna reveals her final card, the Gnosis Sphere. She, she believes that if Ascalon learns the truth of reality, he will also see the reason why Batman has chosen to fight for redemption rather than destruction. The overlord of knowledge causes Ascalon to see the truth, apologize to Jean-Paul, and retreat to discover more about himself. Before he leaves, however, he tells Batman that Tim Drake is still alive. Two days later, Batman pushes a brutally beaten but recovering Jean-Paul in a wheelchair into a cemetery to visit Nomaz's grave. Jean-Paul has asked Luke to reconfigure a version of his Azrael suit rather than stay in the Asbats version. The two discuss Batman's artificial intelligence and weigh the weight and fury of it before Batman ponders what it means that Tim has been hidden for him so for so long. In the Swiss Alps, Ra's al Ghul invites Jean-Paul's dad to join his organization and to meet their benefactor in order to see the big picture. All right. So the first question I have is Asklan seemingly unbeatable until this Asbats AI shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, even that is not completely able to overpower him. It actually takes this MacGuffin, let's put it that way and say that oh, uh, no. Zatanna showed up or well, she didn't show up, but she obviously has been in the story, but she's only been in the story so that they, this could be resolved. I mean, that's, that's exa- at least how it feels. Um, and of course the, the, one of the reasons we all assume that, Bruce, when Bruce would eventually touch the sphere, he'd find out that Tim Drake was still alive. That was Mm -hmm. at least one of my assumptions from way back. Talking about all of this, um, he still ends up finding out, although he doesn't have to actually touch the sphere because Ascalon tells him. So I wanted, there's, there's, it's a two part question. The first part is, is it convenient that, of course, Satana, who just was brought in for this story arc, conveniently has this, this device, no matter what it is, that somehow disables and takes down Ascalon so easily, number one. And number two, is it slightly convenient that Bruce was after this, this device the entire time, and yet he still ends up finding out a little bit of piece of information that he would have otherwise found out if he would have touched it himself. <laughs> is it convenient? Of course it is. Now, at least she didn't pop up. So at least we had it. moment. So Zatanna has been around, as you said, for a couple issues. I think it would have been way worse. And as you know, the F word that Donovan does like forced, if all of a sudden she had popped up and said, here, take this sphere. So at least it had been written in. There was past history with it and Bruce and Zatanna in particular. So yes, it's convenient, but I think it was 
done well for the arc. Uh, as for the Tim Drake <laughs> thing a reveal, yes, that is really convenient. This one I don't accept as much, um, mainly because why would that truth be given to Ascalon? I felt like that sphere was attuned to whomever held it. And so whatever the person that held it wanted to know or, you know, questions about the future, it would be showing visions to that person. But Ascalon has no connection to Tim Drake. Uh, it's too thin of a thread to say that, well, he's connected to the Bat family because he's fighting them. And so they want to know and everything. But no one, everyone is on the point of saying, you know, Tim, rest in peace. Batman's the only one that has this question in his mind that is he still out there? So it's convenient, and I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know that Batman would be, you know, I don't know that Batman is directly looking for Tim Drake. I mean, if we go back to the version of Detective Comics that was edited before it actually released that talked about Tim Drake still being there and not really understanding how he knew that or whatever, if we go back to that, Okay, fine. It wasn't Detective Comics. It was edited. Well, no, it, it was Detective Comics. It was edited, but it was because of something that changed during the Button storyline. But the 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 thing is, it 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 definitely is way too convenient that this all happened. I think the problem is that this just is one of those situations where it shows that the characters that they're focusing on aren't as strong of characters or don't have the, the characterization built up to support some sort of thing that doesn't appear as a MacGuffin or isn't super convenient to, to, you know, wrap it all up. This specific arc outside of the fact that it was, you know, as well focused and I'm not a huge fan of Jean-Paul Valley, this, arc uh, really, all know. this arc really felt like it was kind of a, a, really a step down from some of the other, pretty much all of the other arcs that were written. And I know that, that my personal opinion is going to affect that with Jean-Paul Valley, but I feel like even the way this was wrapped up, put aside my, my strong dislike of the Jean-Paul Valley character, just the idea that something that, you know, they bring in a character specifically to make a device show up to, to resolve the entire story arc. It just feels way too convenient and it shouldn't feel convenient at all. It should feel like it makes sense. Now, Satana showed up like two story arcs ago and she was just part of the team or hanging out with Batman as part of the team for a while, for whatever reason it may be, then it would have made more sense. But to have her just randomly show up because Batman's questioning magic because of the end of the last arc with Cassandra Kane, Ra's al Ghul, you know, mind wiping Bruce and Bruce kind of questioning that. Sure. It makes sense that she would get brought in, but then they shouldn't have had her, brought in for that, but then conveniently had this device that was going to conveniently wrap up the, you know, the, the fight between Ascalon and Azrael. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my other qu- quick question is, so Tim Drake's still alive. We know that uh, the next two issues of detective comics are going to go back to focusing on spoiler and anarchy. And then after that, we're going to get this, we're going to get Tim Drake. He's going to be coming back or beginning to come back or whatever. And in, in, uh, in, in two more issues. So like the middle of uh, September is when we can expect that. But um, the, the other question is, so there's this thing, you know, there's this tease at the end of the issue with Razel Gould going to find Jean Paul's dad and inviting him to join. So if the person is not 
you know, if the person in charge is not Roz, and we saw last issue, we saw him basically collecting Lady Shiva and bringing him, bringing her with him at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. He's clearly recruiting somebody, but the the at least the way I perceived it was he was recruiting these people for himself. Mm-hmm. But like as a t- his own team, I mean, um, this oh, okay. this though it comes across as he there's definitely somebody else. Yeah. Heading up this organization, you know, this bad organization or whatever. So the question is, any guesses as to who could potentially be leading up this organization that is so bad that would even Ra's al Ghul would say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. <laughs> yeah, that's the question is who would Ra's al Ghul agree to follow? And I think it's uh, Ozymandias. I think it's it's got to be someone that... <laughs> Like off the scales, powerful, I think, and and just someone that to a certain extent, people that you follow, uh, you have respect for them. But I think you also have a bit of fear for them. And I think Ozymandias is probably the person that fits that. Uh, I would my knee jerk would be like Apocalypse you know, or sorry, a dark side. But I think given the storytelling, that would be like way out there. Because we've been slowly connecting to the Watchmen. We know that something weird's going on with Tim Drake. I, I think the rumor is about Ozymandias being there. So that's my guess is that we're going to connect it directly to the Watchmen. And who better to, but this guy, Ozymandias, to be uh, the quote-unquote benefactor, as Ra's al Ghul says. Yeah, I can't say that I would for sure put it that way. I mean... Mr. Oz, the person who's got Tim Drake in the prison, kind of makes sense um, if it ends up being Ozymandias, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the problem that I have with that is that seems like it's too too big of a character for the Bat books. Um, yes, he, he's he's intellectually smart. Ozymandias it is, is intellectually smart. Um, but it just feels like he is somebody who would be better suited for the DC universe, uh, you know, a DC story, not necessarily a Batman specific story. So I can't immediately say that I agree with that, but, you know, honestly thinking of who else it could be because it's Tynan, I could see it being somebody that somebody knew that we have never seen before Mm. just because he's done that before, you know, the creation of mother, which I think we were all under the assumption that mother was somebody until it was revealed that, you know, like a third of the way into Batman and Robin Eternal that, oh, wait, no, Mother is literally nobody. It's just this new character that everyone is, you know, that David Kane is somehow being completely okay with mm-hmm. uh, following. But I think the, for me, I, I can't think of who it could be yeah, um, for sure. But I, I do think that whoever it is, it's probably, probably does have to be somebody DC universe, not Batman specific. Just because mm-hmm. I can't see Razel Ghoul bending over backwards and seeking out people to recruit for a team for anybody that you know is just from this world and is completely okay. I mean, like you want to go complete crazy left field, uh, Batmite. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. <laughs> Batmite. That's um, right. uh, <laughs> that is crazy um i i do want to have you explain that but i i first before i forget what i was going to say um if it's a creator 
original by Tynion, he better do one heck of a job explaining who this person is and making them a legitimate threat. Um, because the problem with that is you've got to create that history and then you have to make the readers believe that this person is powerful enough to make uh, Ra's al Ghul bend the knee. Did you say bend the knee? Have you been watching some Game of Thrones? <laughs> I'm always watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, bend the knee. That was Danny's phrase. Uh, but why Batmite? Why, why do you, can you explain that, please? Well, I'm just thinking, like, I, I only bring up Batmite because Batmite is, is so far removed to make any sense. But Batmite could easily <laughs> take the appearance of anybody else like it could be he could take the appearance of dark side but it actually could and i only say this because of what just happened recently in in uh the superman comics with mr mitzelplik you know taking (laughs) the form of this other you know this other version of superman and Mm -hmm. i don't think anybody saw it coming that it was going to be mitzelplik and it was kind of a cool you know Oh, moment, but at the same time, like I feel, I, if it was Batman, it'd probably be a little bit too conveniently timed mm. and look like a ripoff of what they just did over in the Superman comics. But um, it's not really that I have any like real basis to say yes, that makes you know it, it should be Batmite. But mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of like somebody completely out there that That's is pretty out there, Batman universe specific. That you know mm-hmm. has the ability, you know has the crazy abilities, and Batmite is one of those characters that has crazy abilities. So that's the only thing mm-hmm. I can think of. But I'll leave it at that for now. Um, so Detective Comics, uh, I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five batterings. This is a hard one. Uh, I guess I'll agree with you. I will say that a funny moment that I laughed out loud was when <laughs> was when Batwoman said, "I love her." To uh, well, Zatanna was away. I don't ship them necessarily, but um, I, I thought that that was pretty funny. But yeah, I'll agree and say three out of five. All right. So over on the website, Ian gave it three and a half out of five. So it's going to give Detective Comics a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our in depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website. For Greater Gotham. First up, on August 2nd, we had Main TV Books. We already talked about Batman number 28. Nightwing number 26, Dick Grayson is reunited with Huntress as Spiral is reintroduced into his life. This is you by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Bane Conquest number four, Bane's path crosses with Catwoman's as he matches wits with Dionysus. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Main DC Universe books, Justice League number 26. The kids of the Justice League in the future are fighting to stay alive and fix the problems of their devastated world. To do this, they invade the ruins of the Infinity Court building and open a portal to the past, which deposits them in front of the very cause of the devastation, the Justice League. This was reviewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books, DC Comics Bombshells number 32, which includes digital chapters 95 through 97. The bombshell versions of Hugo Strange, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Reaper, and Joker's Daughter all appear in the issue. Green Arrow number 28, Black Canary, appears briefly in the issue alongside, along with Gotham City hinting at what is coming in the next issue. Injustice 2 number 7, which includes digital chapters number 13 and 14. The Injustice versions of Bruce Wayne, Black Canary, Barbara Gordon, Damian Wayne, Jason Todd, Athanasia Al Ghul, 
Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Orca, Killer Croc, Poison Ivy, and Man Bat, as well as Alfred's Corpse, all appear in the issue. Moving into August 9th, main TV books. We already talked about Detective Comics. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 13. Poison Ivy's Rage Threatens the Birds' Lives and the Mission in the Conclusion of Source Code. This is by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. And uh, it wasn't the strongest arc, but I will say that there are some big, not continuity, but status quo shaking events at the very end that I think it's worthwhile, which is why I give it a thumbs up. But for more, you go over to Background Oracle and I'll be sure to review it. Yes. And just if in case you don't, what she's referring to is a certain redheaded character is sitting in front of a computer <laughs> by the end of the issue. Yeah, we get rid of the poser, basically. Yes. All right, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 13. After dying from his fight with Solomon Grundy, Bizarro is brought back to life by none other than his initial creator, Lex Luthor. However, Red Hood and Artemis are shocked by the new revived Bizarro. So by Bill, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Oh, thumbs up. That was great. Harley Quinn, number 25. Harley throws a surprise party party for Psy, which turns out to be a reverse surprise party for herself. Meanwhile, the Unconquerable 25 plans a hit on Harley and all her friends. In the backup, Joker and Harley's new hideout is complete, but at a cost. This review by David, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, abstain. Gotham Academy second semester number 12. As the series comes to an end, Olive is freed from Amity Arkham's spirit and makes up with her friends. This review by Jerry, he gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up, and I will miss it dearly. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books, Justice League of America, number 12. The Justice League of America enter the microverse in search of Ray Palmer. This is by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Titans, number 14. The, the Titans' search for the believed traitor is interrupted by three Atlanteans from Garth's past. In the end, it is revealed that Omen may not be the traitor, but Nightwing might be. This is by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Suicide Squad number 23. The Suicide Squad captured Killer Frost, angering Batman in the process. This is by Corbin. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Secondary DC Universe books. Justice League Power Rangers number five. Batman appears in the issue as well as the Red Ranger wearing a disguise of Red Hood. The new Superman number 14. The Batman of China, Robin Bot, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and Killer Croc all appear in the issue. And then finally, TVU trades and hardcovers are released over the past two weeks include Harley's Little Black Book hardcover, Batman by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo box set number two, Batman Arkham Clayface trade paperback, Superpowers trade paperback, Justice League of America volume one, The Extremist trade paperback, and Earth 2 Society volume four, Life After Death trade paperback. So that is all of the books that released over the past two weeks. Of course, if you head over to the website, all of those in-depth reviews that we uh, or all of those reviews that we mentioned that had ratings, they all have detailed synopses um, of the actual articles of the actual comic issues, as well as uh, analysis for each and every one of those. So I strongly suggest that you go check those out over on the site. Um, and if you are reading some of these some of those books and you disagree or agree, I encourage you to leave comments on the review posts to discuss, you know, the, those books with the guys and gals who are reviewing those titles. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q and A's. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number? Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. 
No, please, don't! And the very first one we have comes from actually one of our former co-hosts from this very podcast, the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, and it is from Zach. See, after you get fired, you do survive and you come back. I'm just kidding. He wasn't fired. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, anywho, uh, before I burden you all with this belabored... With this belabored series of thoughts and questions, I just want to say how much I appreciate the comic cast and the insight each of you bring to the show. I have recently started reading the Batman Universe books again after several years of neglect and have enjoyed listening along as I process my thoughts on the continuing evolution of the character. Some impressions regarding Batman number 27 and episode number 228's commentary. I'm not sure that I share the opinion that King's characterization of Batman suggested a specifically jaded character or a character who doesn't believe in the idea of self-rehabilitation or reinvention like was suggested in episode number 228. I don't see where that was expressed in any form. If anything, Tom King's entire tenure on the main title has been negotiating the various phases that Bruce Wayne has undergone a reinvention of self, whether it be his relationship with Gotham and Gotham Girl, the role of a hero, addressing Bruce's attempted suicide earlier in life, one's value of their own life, or the current state of the relationship with Selina, the desire to share and receive love. All these interpersonal arcs have been about Bruce's struggle to define himself outside of the cowl and beyond the tragedy that defined his childhood. However, However, these themes have also existed outside of Batman himself. I Am Bane is entirely about the cultivation of a persona to confront the atrocity set before oneself, and King's juxtaposing of Batman and Bane was meant to observe the similarities and differences in their paths. We are seeing the same questions being raised in The War of Jokes and Riddles with Kite Man, but also the Joker, the Joker, who is presently confronted with an identity crisis himself. The storyline began with the Joker's inability to find anything worth laughing about. I think this detail is imperative to understanding his current relationship with Charles Brown. The Joker is uncertain of the what and how in cultivating his future presence as a villain in Gotham City, which is mirrored in Charles Brown's own sense of self, which he is being forced to confront as he serves as a strategic pawn in a three-way chess game between Batman, the Joker, and the Riddler. I think because the war itself in the War of Jokes and Riddles is more of a foreboding background element to King's story arc, the severity and psychological toll it has taken on Batman has been underestimated in King's realization. We know Batman is being violently thrust into an extreme decision. We assume this will be Bruce's confession to Selina that is seemingly serving as the backbone of this entire story. But perhaps King hasn't expressed this trajectory with the most lucidity. On the notion that Kite Man is simply lucky... (laughs) Here are Tom King's thoughts on Kite Man. To me, he's Sisyphus. Oh, boy. Uh, the guy who rolls the, the rock up the hill, poor guy, only to have it fall back down and crush him. This is Stella speaking here, but just so you know, poor Sisyphus, he has to do that for all eternity in the underworld. But anyways, back to this. I was interested in a character like that and how he could possibly survive in Gotham City. In my opinion, this is Zach now. In my opinion, this same description could also be applicable to Bruce Wayne, the Joker, the Riddler, Two-Face, Clayface, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Bob 
recording. Cassandra Kane for Dawn, etc. Depending on which origin you choose to adhere to, nearly every character in the Batman universe is defined by their chosen method of survival. They choose to become a hero or they choose to become a villain. What isn't chosen are the circumstances that motivate their decision. We are seeing Kite Man undergo the same decision. He's thrust into a conflict without agency. His son has been poisoned. His life has been threatened. He's becoming an alcoholic. And we are observing the how and why he chooses to become the supervillain. In this context, the reveal of Kite Man is not of moment is not a moment of excitement or victory, but of great tragedy. We are watching another character fall victim to the tragic circumstances of their life and make a poor decision. I would even go so far to argue that the entire rebirth period of the Batman universe has been about reestablishing identities, reinventing characterizations, and rehabilitating continuities that were ignored or abandoned during the New 52 period. This long-winded rant leads me to ask a question that I think continuously percolates on the comic cast but is never directly addressed which is what defines the character of bruce wayne what defines the character of batman how do these definitions change over time in history should they change what is essential what is disposable what can be augmented so often the criticisms each of you have regarding a Batman story stem from these questions and how each of you reconcile and answer these questions for yourselves. I'm fascinated by this because what, we're, what we are really saying is, here's why I love this character. Here's how I relate to this character. Here's what I admire or despise about this character. Perhaps the greatest thematic conceit in Grant Morrison's tenure on the Bat Books was his treating Batman's publication history as the character's biography. This was great because it was all-inclusive. It said that Batman is anything and everything. He is gothic and he is also modern. He is camp and he is grit. All these elements can exist simultaneously and the essence of the character won't be betrayed because the character's essence has infinite possibilities. I personally think that is what makes serialized fiction wonderful, is its continuous evolution, that nothing ever has to be fixed or static. Batman's costume can be black, then blue, then gray, then purple, etc. I enjoy the variations that are created by writers and artists, but not everyone loves comics or Batman for those same reasons. Therefore, I ask, what defines Batman for each of you? Why do you love the character? Is there a definitive rendition of the character for each of you? And if so, what is it? I'll look forward to each of your responses. Okay. So um, you've got a lot of questions there. Um, let, me, <laughs> let me start off by saying this. I am a firm believer that there, there can always be multiple versions of Batman. Um, and I think that multi- different versions of Batman appeal to different types of people. Um, you know, specifically looking at what we're getting right now in the three main Bat books that we're reviewing here on the podcast, with all-star Batman, which is, Scott Snyder, and it's strictly basically a solo Batman title where Batman is occasionally we see other appearances from other characters from the Batman universe, not including the villains. But for the most part, it's a singular Batman story. And that's very much what Scott Snyder has told over his tenure as a Batman writer. Um, And then over in Batman, we see Batman also as a singular character, but we see a little bit more of the newer elements that we've seen during the new 52 um, a lot less focus on the history of the character and the relationships with the exist, the existing relationships with some of the characters like Tim Drake or Dick Grayson. We're not really seeing those relationships in that book. It's more of a, the relationships with some of the newer characters like Duke Thomas and Gotham girl. And then over in detective comics is the complete opposite. In my opinion, where we have Batman basically working with all of these characters 
who in some way, shape, or form have been around for a longer period of time. I think the the majority of the characters, other than I think Batwing, um, the, this version of Batwing is probably the newest character that's on the team. Um, Batwoman would probably be the second, but Cassandra's been around in history of the books for quite some time. Clayface has obviously been around. Tim Drake has been around. Stephanie Brown's been around. So, I mean, like these other characters who have appeared, Azrael's been around. These other characters have been around. So it's very different in the fact that the characters that Batman is interacting with in this title are not newer characters that were created within the last five to six years. They are all characters who have existed pre-New 52. Let's just put it that way. Um, So, But the reason I say this is because there's three different versions, and you'll hear the three of us all talk about which titles we like more. I mean, I think we all enjoy Detective Comics probably more than the other ones, but you can still hear Ed go on and on about how he loves <laughs> Scott Snyder and All-Star Batman. Um, and then we you, you can hear me complain about the stuff that Scott Snyder's doing in All-Star Batman. At the same time, you can hear us all, you know, have comments and have input on what's going on in Tom King's Batman because it is so remotely different than what we are getting in detective comics. And I think the important thing is right now it's a great mix because there are plenty of people out there who really enjoy the newer aspects and haven't been Batman fans and don't know the extensive history of all these characters. It feels like the, the, the readers slash fans of Batman who have been around pre new 52 are really digging detective comics and it's not that they're not digging other books, but Batman is continuously selling very, very well, um, you know, on the sales charts. Um, and, and that has probably a lot to do with the fact that it appeals towards readers that aren't so rooted in that history. But moving aside from the idea that there can be multiple versions, for me personally, I have no problem with there being a book where Batman is cracking jokes. I mean, like it's not going to be necessarily my favorite version of Batman, but I don't have a problem with it. I mean, like when they said that they were going to do a Batman 66, I have no problem admitting because a lot of people think that a lot of people look at the Batman 66 series and for them, it's a way that they got brought into Batman and the world of Batman and things like that. And they remember watching the show on as reruns when they were kids or you know, some of our older, older listeners, they, they watched the show when they were actually kids. So, I mean, like the thing is like, for me, I never liked that show. I didn't even see the show until I was probably 10, 12 years old on reruns on a Saturday afternoon. And I just despised the fact that they were constantly poking fun and Batman was so not serious. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people look at the the '60s TV series and say, "Oh, it's 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 great, it's camp." You know, that's the way it is. And I still, to this day, I look at it. And I can appreciate it for telling stories and things like that, just like I can appreciate Gotham telling stories, even though I despise that show too, because I just it's not the version of Batman that I enjoy. Uh. That being said, I'd say that my version of Batman, I mean, like the epitome of what I look at when I say this is the best version of Batman is really Batman, the animated series, Batman specific. Um, That's my favorite version of Batman, but that has a lot to do with the fact that that's the Batman I grew up on when I was a kid. Um, But I will say that when it comes to the comics, um, the Batman of the nineties 
after Nightfall and all that, but like the Batman who is rooted in the the family element of 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 the Batman universe, where he has Nightwing, he has Tim Drake, he has Spoiler, he has Cassandra Cain, he has Oracle, he has all these other characters that are so rooted in like the fabric of who he is as a character. That's the character that is most important to me. Do I care? You know what color he wears. You know whether it be a blue black gray outfit no i it really doesn't make a difference i mean like i prefer like that darker gray with the the you know the dark gray like i i don't like necessarily a straight black costume like say beware the batman or you know the blue costume from you know like the neil adams version from the 70s those aren't probably my favorite um but yes there are different versions of the costume and it can change over time i think the one of the things that's so great about a character that in it, that exists within the world of fiction is that a character who can adapt and, and change over time is a character who can last way longer than most characters. When you look at the history of, of Batman as a character, Batman has had so many different versions, whether it be in the golden age or the silver age or, you know, on the TV shows or in the movies, there's so many different versions of Batman. And I think there there's always things you can appreciate from every version of the character but I think that my preference is the character who's very rooted in that family element. I don't like the the loner Batman. I don't like the Batman who you know doesn't want to have anything to do. Like Batman knows his limitations. He knows that there are limits as to what he can and can't do, and he he recognizes that and addresses them. And that's part of the reason he has he surrounds himself with allies. And he eventually joins the Justice League in, in the course of continuity is because he realizes that there are threats out there that he can't necessarily handle on his own and he needs help. And, you know, when he brings along characters like Tim Drake and Dick Grayson, it makes sense the way, you know, it, it's it's written most of the time. It's it makes sense. And, you know, Tim Drake is has always been the detective he's been able to out detective Batman whenever it comes to things. I would love to see stories where Tim Drake is, you know, basically schooling Batman on how to be a better detective. I mean, I think that would be a cool thing, but it just goes back into that, that family element, you know, seeing Dick Grayson telling Batman to lighten up because Dick Grayson is a much lighter character. That's the, I like seeing the, the characters interact with Batman. Batman naturally is a dark character, but I think the more the family is intertwined with him, the more interesting he becomes because it's like, uh, well, the perfect example I think is, you know, this upcoming Batman and Harley Quinn uh, movie that's coming out. <laughs> you, you have Batman who's like straight serious the entire time. And he's surrounded by characters like Harley Quinn, who's completely bonkers. And you've got Nightwing who is naturally a lighter character than Batman, but still obviously darker than somebody like Harley Quinn or I should say more serious, not darker, but more serious than Harley Quinn. But you can see them kind of like rubbing off on Batman in a way where Batman is, you know, you have to, you have to like see his reactions and you can really appreciate the fact that this guy is in a weird situation, but he's making the best of it. You know, the idea that a normal person puts on a bat suit and fights crime he doesn't really have like other than just to, you know, serve out justice. He doesn't really have a reason to do it. He does it because he feels the necessity to make sure, you know, serve and protect. And that, that can be said of anybody. I mean, but the difference between him becoming a police officer per se, or, you know, a fireman or somebody, you know, any other, you know, a soldier or any other, you know, job or occupation that would be 
the same thing as serve and protect, you know, hand out justice, things like that. There's a reason why he does what he does. And I think the, you know, just having him as the loner just doesn't come across as the character that appeals towards me. So I think the best version of Batman for me is the one that is, you know, has that loner mentality, but still recognizes that the family element is what really does it, you know, makes him a better person. And not to mention, you look at it from the perspective of Batman as a character who is a person who lost his family when he was a kid, you know, as an adult, he has the opportunity to have his own family, whether it be, you know, he gets married with Selena and actually has children or whether he just surrounds himself with all of his allies and that's his family. I think that's, the most important version of the character specifically to me. I'm really surprised at you. <laughs> Maybe because that's I, when I was thinking about this, I'm glad you went first, but I thought, well, you know, I bet Dustin won't say this, but you did. Yeah. It's family man. Batman is my Batman. And I think part of it stems from my shipper heart as people who have listened to the show or mine know that I have it. Uh, but I also ship like familial people in a not weird way, you know, like fathers and sons and things like that. And that's why I really liked Peter Tomasi's um, first volume of Batman and Robin. Uh, I, I, Cause I felt like it really got to that. Batman is not a relatable character for me. He is, uh, I, I, I just think, you know, when I think of relatable characters, he's, he's not anyone that I could necessarily be like, yeah, I, I, I feel what you're going through, man. But it's his, I think part of it's like nostalgia, you know, growing up with this character and seeing it, you know, in cartoon form, you become connected with them. I think also the rogues, because they are so fascinating and, and have fun shticks and they're um, so beautiful and their array of differences that that is also something that draws me to him. But uh, it's, it's the dark, dark, dark stuff or the one, you know, the guy who pushes people away, like Dustin was saying, he upsets me. I get annoyed at him. You know, Nightfall was a troublesome time (laughs) as I was reading that, especially in, I guess, A Lonely Place of Dying too. No, I'm sorry. Nightfall was a troublesome time because I thought, my gosh, you know, Tim can be doing some things here. And also future ones in the in the 90s is troublesome too when he could be trusting tim to do things and he's telling asriel to protect him so yeah the loner is is not that that uh the person that i like and it's interesting because when it all started this was who batman was and i just think it's hard for a character to grow if if that's all he is is he's going to be by his own on on his own and fight crime but we've seen him forcibly take on a sidekick right from societal questions of you know batman and he takes on a, a sidekick and then and then more come but through the sidekick you also have this great relationship which you know more questions of course arose and then he has these other people that sort of flit in and out of his life and either he has a positive influence on them or they meet with tragic results and then you see that oh my goodness he's not a monster he's actually human that sort of thing so i would agree also with dustin i just can't believe it we have more in common than i 
of thought, uh, <laughs> that the 90s also. So I, I would consider myself a newer comic reader. I'm not, you know, an expert. And it's funny because as I'm reading for my own show with Barbara Gordon, I encounter a lot of Batman, obviously, and as if she can't stand on her own. But I am in the 90s now because of Oracle and I'm reading so many Batman <laughs> comics and it's just, I'm loving it. I really, I love the storytelling and I know people say that the nineties were extreme and you do see that sometimes, but also I think there are just really good stories to be told. So the, the Batman, the, the family man is what I love to see because you know, the Bat Family title when that was running was great because it was it was Dick and uh, Bruce, you know, doing things. And then later Dick would be at Hudson University and doing his own thing. But then you would also have Batman teaming up with other people. It could be Barbara Gordon, could be other people. Uh, and so I think it goes to prove that he's not always a loner. I, I think he's gruff in the beginning, but I think he starts to open up. And I think to a certain extent that it's, you know, self-preservation. He's lost people. And so he wants to guard his heart and protect himself from being hurt again in case he were to ever lose someone else again. But there are so many beautiful moments in comics. And I think, you know, late, well, the nineties that I've been seeing and with Cassandra Kane, I, I think I've never seen or gotten as emotional reading a Batman comic as I have when I've seen Cassandra Kane with Batman and just how he treats her and that interaction and uh, the hug that we talked about, right? And and uh, we, we had that here and we had that in the past. The concern and, and the love, I think, and respect that he has for Barbara Gordon and, and all these other people. It's just great to see all of them together, which is why when that's not happening, when he's betraying them for whatever reason, which is why I hate the death of the family. <laughs> it, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and I think it goes to show that he has grown such a great deal. So I, I don't think he should ever revert back to the loner. I think if he goes back there, there's something wrong with the storytelling because he's grown from that. He started there, but I don't think he's there anymore. I also, besides the family man, Batman, I would also say I love the detective aspect of Batman. That's some of the best stories I think because everyone likes, you know, beat em up issues and, and stories and things like that. But there are some amazing just flat out detective stories where he is that are really well written where you have no idea who the villain is and he's just gathering clues and and you know, you see his intelligence more so than his athletic prowess. And uh, I think those are amazing as well. And go to, goes to show you that uh, I think a hero relies on more than his or her brawn, but also has has to have intellect as well. So I think with Batman, I guess I'm starting to suss out why I like him. With Batman, I like him because he, <laughs> deep, deep, deep down, <laughs> he's got a heart. And when he loves someone, I think he loves them fiercely. And he's also sort of an awkward teenager in, in some senses because he has trouble, I think, dealing with these feelings. So he shows them oddly and not romantic feelings, but, you know, I think he, he loves Tim, obviously. And I think in trying to show that love or protect him, like he'll basically push him away because he wants to protect him, which is the wrong thing to do there, Bruce. But it's just interesting to see him work that stuff out. So he's got the heart. He has the, the brains and the intellect, which he uses. And then he also is uh, amazing because he is a human. 
he's got his bank account as uh ben affleck has said right that's his superpower i think it says in the in the justice league trailer so you know he's got that but that's not all that that make him up he he can uh do crazy things and uh fight with the best of them so batman while i don't relate to him i think he's just a fun and interesting character when it gets too dark i don't like it he's not supposed to be the bright spot of the batman universe i think that that's that's batgirl's role depending on the robin it could be robin's role but uh i I think there's an even level of of darkness but it's about his relationships I, i think if he were unable to relate to other people you wouldn't see this beautiful relationship between him and jim gordon so it's just how he relates to people um his love for this city and and trying to give back to his parents so it all comes i think you know this whole mission comes from his love for somebody and it it all started with his parents and now we see him grow from a loner to uh to where he is so yeah i guess that that (laughs) that answers the question which is why i think you know it back to your comment zach on on the beginning i don't remember if i was the one that said that he was jaded or not but specifically in this issue where speak for Dustin, he can correct me if I'm wrong, where we're having issues is that um, the character seems to be changing, I think. And it's not to say that writers don't have their own, they have the freedom to create their own Batman character, but I think there are certain things that that need to happen. And it just seems like the Batman that we're seeing currently really beats himself up a lot. And I, I think he always has taken it upon himself that, you know, if something bad happens to Gotham, it's his fault. But it seems like things are really being thrown at him, like in an impossible way. And so, of course, he's going to fail. And of course, this bad thing is going to happen. So I don't know if I called him jaded. I don't know if that's what I would consider him. But I just feel like uh, this current Batman arc is a very low um, level of his career, a low tier, nah, I, I'm a low point, low point of his career. And so I'm like sad about it because yes, if he's an amateur, which I think we can assume that he is, he's going to make mistakes, but this seems like ooh, things are being, the odds are stacked against him. So I think that might be where we're, where we're coming from. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing is that he just feels like, and, and maybe this is, <sighs> stemming out of the button and maybe this is the direction that there's that Tom King is aiming for, but it does feel like he's beating himself up. And I really do feel like whatever the conclusion of this war of the Joker is that he's going to, you know, this big reveal that he's trying to tell Selena, I just don't feel like it's going to, you know, translate to make complete sense for us as the reader, knowing the character, he shouldn't be like automatically taking the, um, the, the, the blame for any bad thing that happens. Um, Mm -hmm. no matter how, no matter how, you know, in control or out of control he was, you know, if he's not pulling the trigger, it's, it's not his fault directly. I mean, like he can Mm -hmm. feel guilt, but it's not his fault. So, and that's, I think, the, I think that's the biggest problem with where we're going is like the other problem is I feel like we're just going in a direction. We don't know exactly what way we're going with yeah. the story. It just feels like we're going somewhere, but we just don't know where yet. And so. I think the other issue is that if this were the only thing that we were seeing, I think we could accept it potentially. I think we might still have some difficulties with how it's been playing out, but we'd be better than we are. But if you think about it, this sort of storyline has been happening frequently. I still say that with Tanyan's run, he did it 
again with Tim Drake. Like that one issue was really bad. Oh, I guess it was Night of the Monster Men where he's like, no, I need to be the one to take all of them down. Then you have Batman and Robin Eternal with the whole mother issue and him like pretending that there's a big secret that everyone's going to feel betrayed about. But really it turned out to be fine. And then you have death of the family where he like pushes everyone away. There's, you know, he's lying to all of them. So it seems like this isn't the first time that we've got some weird stuff going on and um, he's taking on more than he should and bad. He's doing bad things and making poor decisions. If it were one time, they'll be like, Oh, that's okay. But it's been happening more than it should. Yeah. All right. So then our next comment comes from Chris. This was trivia. This guy, I have to say, Chris knows a great deal. So he is our um, our trivia guru here. So here we go. Some useless trivia as to whether the comic strip Peanuts exists in the DC Comics universe. I can't speak to Rebirth or the New 52, but there was a takeoff on the strip back in the mid-1970s. The Joker had a short-lived monthly comic book. and <laughs> Oh, dear. And in issue number three, the Joker had an amnesia-stricken creeper whom he had captured go and kidnap cartoonist Sandy Saturn, <laughs> who, drew, who drew the comic strip Cashews. <laughs> Get it? That had a Charlie Brown as character with the striped shirt and all for a ransom of $1 million. Any similarity to Peanuts creator Charles Schultz ended there, though. While Schultz seemed kind and timid in interviews, I saw the Sandy Sadden character was a bit of a grouch. The creeper did eventually get his memory back and apprehended the Joker at the end of the story. I'll post a tweet response to the podcast with a pic of an example of the Cashews comic strip. Great show, as always, and thanks for mentioning Backworld Oracle and back bo- bat books for beginners yes uh I, and he did put out a tweet and i'll be retweeting that the day that this releases on friday so that well, you any of the listeners can take a look at it but yeah i mean i i had no idea that uh cashews existed <laughs> uh, yeah but there's these little bits of trivia like she like uh, stella said that uh, chris knows so absolutely our next comment comes from Bill. Um, thanks again for another great podcast. Ed, Ed's not here. Ed, I know you love Snyder. Death of the Family Foe here. I can't believe you, Bill. You and I will have words. Death of the Family Foe here. Ugh. But I think even Dustin's past comments about his control over DC Universe continuity has gotten a little out of hand with Dark Knight's Metal. Dark Knight's Metal is already off to a troubling start with Snyder trying to make all metahumans' origins due to nth metal in their blood. It takes away from many of the best superheroes' origin stories. To say that someone is special just because they have this substance in their blood limits a lot of interesting origins and frames these origins now in a very boring light. I know he's one of their all-star writers, but this just seems too much, way too much control that DC is giving him. Unless the story is out of continuity, has that been confirmed? Well, real, Regarding quick, the- real quick before we oh, go yep, on, let me yep. answer those two questions. It is in continuity. And they have said it's in continuity and it's taking place right along with everything else. And the ending of metal will somehow play into something having to do with the Watchmen slash rebirth stuff, because Snyder has said that in interviews that this is definitely within continuity and takes place in the same universe as the current rebirth slash Watchmen stuff that will kick off sometime in November as well. So um, there's definitely, 
It's definitely in continuity, which I, which, you know, in some ways frustrates me. Now I, I can honestly say the, you know, the nth metal in the blood uh, to make to that has something to do with all the metahumans having their, their, you know, their powers. I don't necessarily take as much offense to that. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who do, but that's, that has more to do with the fact that I'm more of a Batman universe fan than the DC universe. And the majority of Batman universe characters don't have metahuman qualities. That's not to say there aren't them because there's definitely villains and things like that, that have powers, but the majority of Batman characters do not have that are not metahumans. So it doesn't really bug me that much. Now I will say if it does all get chalked up to, Anybody that has powers, it's because of the nth metal being, you know, racing through their bloodstream. That that is kind of a very strange way to uh, explain everything. And in some ways, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stella, I, you probably know this a little bit more than I do because I don't pay <laughs> attention to this, this this kind of stuff. And okay. I hate to even bring this up, but. Uh-oh. In Marvel, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> that exact same theory is true with all of those people that are called the Inhumans. They all have something in their blood, that, and then they get, go through some sort of reaction that causes them to get their powers. Because I remember a scene in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, yeah. Yeah, There's and currently, I mean, there's a mist that sort of went through... New York and Jersey and everything. So different people will pop up in like Ms. Marvel or something that this mist hit. So yeah, there is some sort of thing innate with some people that is just dormant. And then it, if it con- comes in contact with something, then it'll give them powers. So there is that, that little bit there. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's part of the problem that I would have with this is it draws too much from something that already exists in a completely separate universe and like Bill says, takes away from the idea of some of the origin stories that have already pre-existed to chalk it up to, well, this is actually because of this. That doesn't do the original uh, origins justice. And, and that also has to do with my my disdain for Snyder rewriting so many origins. And if this is actually true and the nth metal is the reason why everybody who has powers has powers, who's not an alien, then I would be really upset about it because they just basically allowed him to basically blanket redo the origins of so many characters. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. Regarding the potential marriage of Bruce and Selena, is anyone else hoping that following their marriage, oh, Tomasi could take on the Batman title? I feel like that I feel that his amazing writing when it comes to superheroes and their family dynamics is unparalleled among DC's current writers. I've loved what Tomasi and Gleason did on Batman and Robin as well as on Superman currently. I will say this, that if uh, Selena and Bruce do get married, I would not mind seeing Tomasi on the main Batman title. Um, I think that he would probably be the best. I mean, we've said this before in the past, Tomasi's relationship Mm-hmm. takes or his take on relationships within the Batman universe, whether it be father and son, whether it be son to surrogate father, like with Damien and, and Dick Grayson. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting relationships that Tomasi has told in the pages of Batman and Robin, even going back to his time on Nightwing right before the new 52. Um, he, he's done a great job with the characters and it would be interesting, especially because like, if they actually decide to go the route of, Selena and Bruce actually get married. One, 
I've already said it. I'm already, I'm good for it. You know, I, I would love to see the stories that they would do. And I'd like to see it last, you know, at least a couple of years before they try to like figure out some way of undoing the merit, not undoing it, but like having them get separated or whatever. I'd like to actually see stories with Bruce actually reflect that because it would be interesting and be different. But the big thing is like, I would love to see what could happen with the interactions between the other family members. Like just imagine like Damien, Re, in, you know, interacting with Selena because they're both very snarky characters. Selena basically becomes his his stepmom, and he, you know he doesn't even have his mom because Talia is supposed to be dead. Um, at least that's the way it happened in Batman Incorporated. She got killed, so you know it. it there's a lot of really interesting things. I feel like Tomasi probably would be the one writer who could play off those relationships with all the characters better than most other writers. And I, you know, and nothing against Tom King because I don't know how he could, he could actually write the family aspect because that's not what he's writing right now. You know, him interacting with Selena is really more of a, just like a, you know, Bruce and and Selena are are together, but it feels like it's in some ways kind of, they're, they're kind of just being pushed together because of the fallout of the button so I don't really see, and on top of that, they're not really interacting with much with each other that much. That we we see more of them, you know. Bruce is just telling the story, and they're just kind of sleeping with each other right now. But the if you go back to the two issue story arc that he did before, he does he did do a good job with that. So I you know I'll give him credit where with, with that story, and we both we, we all really enjoyed that uh, two issue story arc with you know Bat, Batman and, and Catwoman there. But I, I would say that I would love to see Tomasi's take. I would also just love to see Tomasi on a bat book in general so that we could see it. So, I mean, like even if Selena and Bruce don't end up getting married, I'd still like to see Tomasi come in and kind of maybe, you know, if for whatever reason, Tynan ends up leaving Detective Comics for, for some reason, which isn't going to be anytime soon because he has said in interviews that he has the story planned through issue 1000, which is going to take him on the book through at least another three years, I think uh, before we get to issue 1000. So, um, you know, if for some reason Tynan is to leave and then we are left with the um, family aspect in detective comics, I would love to see Tomasi take over detective comics just so that we can continue to see the interaction between the family members. That's where I'm at. I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Bill, just that Tomasi, like I said, I think in, in my answer to Zach, that what a beautiful way uh, to show the dynamics between Bruce and Damien and to go from a very conflicted and tension-filled relationship to one where there was love, and, and, and I think the love showed in those panels and in those pages. And uh, I think it would be amazing. Number one, I want this marriage to happen and I want it to happen without tragic results (laughs) because I'm very afraid for it. So I want it to happen. You know, part of me wants Tom King to continue because I mean, this is his thing. He's been from the very beginning with all this Selena stuff. So you want to give him his due, I think, and let that continue. But perhaps to create a side book, I think would be great. And, um, you know, have that continued Batman and Selena and Batman and family. <laughs> I don't even know. Or the Batman family it could be a fun little thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that would be great. And, and, oh, 
I'm, I'm just hoping for the best. All right, so that is all of our listener Q&As. Uh, real quick, before we jump into the very end of our podcast, I do have to mention that uh, we, we did have, over the course of the month of July, we did have some Patreon uh, supporters that I do need to quickly mention. So thank you, Ian, Lisa, Jerry, No Deuces, um, as well as Robert and Ian. Um, two different Ian's that is. Um, so thank you for you guys supporting us. Also, thank you for everyone who's supporting us at a lower level, the dollar range um, as well. We appreciate all of our supporters that we have um, over the course of the last couple months. We've raised a, a good chunk of money. And I can officially say we have, we're not going to have any issues with having funds for the foreseeable future. Um, as far as the website goes, we're, we're covered at least through next year, but it doesn't mean that we don't still need funds. Um, there are plenty of other projects that we are still trying to put together. Um, specifically, some of the projects that your money will go to support is uh, there's a huge, huge push for a completely revamped website. I've been working with some people over the last couple of weeks and uh, putting the some of the initial frameworks in place for a new version of the website that is going to be extremely informative um, and also be completely adaptive to whatever device you use, whether it be a computer, a tablet, a, a mobile device. Um, all websites now are basically mobile ready, but ours is a little bit slower when it comes to, to using it on a mobile platform. Um, so that's one of the huge things that we're doing, and as well as revitalizing the number of different sections on the website. Um, another thing that we're looking to do is to expand um, the amount of podcasts that we produce per week um, with bringing back the Batman Universe podcast. Um, part of the reason that hasn't come back is we need a uh, audio editor, which mm-hmm. unfortunately we don't have an extra audio editor or someone to edit audio uh, free of charge. So we'd have to actually pay someone to do that, to bring that show back. And then also we are looking to launch a YouTube news show where we would be bringing you news once a week via the via video. And we're also looking to have a video editor for that as well. So those two things that we're wanting to add onto the website, those cost a little bit of money because we have to actually have someone do those per project or pay them per project. So because of that, we, we, we definitely still need funds coming in to support projects like that and other projects that we would like to do. Um, we also have a number of things that we would like to do for our 10th anniversary um, as far as specials producing a number of different specials related to the Batman universe and things like that. Um, and those obviously are going to rack up some more fees and, and charges and things like that, because we're going to need editors for those as well. So of course, if you would, if you feel the necessity to support us, uh, I strongly suggest that you support us through either Patreon or give us a direct uh, donation, a one-time donation through PayPal. Um, you can find links to both of those immediately on the website, on the homepage, uh, both the Patreon and PayPal. You can pay with a variety of different forms of payment as well. And then obviously, if you support us on Patreon, there are certain reward levels that you get different things at different levels. Um, even if you can only support us at a $1 a month, that is a $1 a month is still something. And we would greatly appreciate basically anything because your $1 just gets us that much closer to having, you know, closer to our goal per month. So we strongly 
encourage you to support us. Uh, and if you are unable to support us in a, in a monetary form, we of course would love anybody who cannot support us with money to support us by volunteering their time and skills. As I said, we're looking for an audio editor, a video editor. We're also looking for graphic designers. We're also looking for, uh, content writers, meaning anybody who would be interested in writing, not necessarily comic reviews, although if you're interested in writing reviews, we would be open to uh, finding you a book to review on the website as well. But if you are interested in writing original content, specifically things that tie into some of the comics that come out on a normal basis, um, one of the things that is going to be upcoming in the next couple of weeks is Anarchy is going to be popping up in Detective Comics. So we're going to be doing a spotlight where we uh, dive into the history of who Anarchy is as a character um, over the course of his of his his presence that has existed for over 20 years as well. So um, that's something you can look forward to in the coming weeks, but things like that kind of tying stuff that ties into current events in the comics and, and tying into the history of the Batman universe. So um, if you're interested in doing that, just or any of the other things I mentioned, you can email me at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. With that, I want to encourage you to head over to the website for all the latest news and editorials from the Batman universe. As I said earlier, there's all kinds of reviews that we post on a weekly basis. Every Wednesday, you'll get all the main Batman books. On Thursday, you'll get all the greater Gotham books. And on Friday, you will get all of the DC universe books that we cover. Um, Dark Knight's Metal is actually coming out this week as well. That will be actually, because it's a main DC event, we'll be publishing that on on, uh, Wednesday alongside the main bat books. So be sure to check out all those reviews. We also have reviews of other recent projects. There's a review for Lego DC superhero girls brain drain, which was a recent DVD release. We also have a review of the Batman telltale series season two, episode one that just also recently released. Um, so you can take a look at those on the websites, but there's the, the point is we have tons of content, but we want to produce even more content for all of you listeners and, and, uh, readers out there who visit the site and appreciate what the Batman universe has to offer. So outside of that, I also encourage you to check out all the other podcasts we have. There's new podcasts releasing almost every single day of the week. The basic, the basic format is Tuesdays is when uh, Back of the Oracle generally releases throughout the month. Uh, Wednesdays is generally when Robin Everyone Loves Drake releases. Bat Fans and Bruce Wayne's World alternate every other Thursday. And then Comic Cast release on Friday and the weeks that the Comic Cast is off, you'll get new episodes of Bat Books for Beginners. Speaking of Bat Books for Beginners, if you haven't checked out the last episode that they released, which was episode 164, features Batman the Dark Detective. That released last week. Next week, as you are listening as, as you're listening to this, the next episode that they will be releasing will be year one, Batman Ra's al Ghul. Mm. Uh, the following week after that, which we will be off because of the five weeks in the month, or the five Wednesdays in the month, uh, the following week after that, you'll get a, you'll get two weeks in a row of Bat Books for Beginners with Robin to Kill a Bird, which will release at the end of, uh, or, well, it should be the beginning of September. Uh, so you'll get three episodes over the course of the month of August for Bat Books for Beginners, and then you'll get us back the next week after that. So there's the point is there is lots of content that we're producing, and uh, we would greatly appreciate support for that content, but then also any help producing some of that content as well. 
So with that, uh, I want to encourage you to check out all, all the news and editorials related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for all latest news and videos. If you are listening to this on iTunes, also be aware that we are re- we have recently made all of the episodes available on Google Play. Um, most of the shows have already been available on Google Play for quite some time. The show is available on Google Play. There's shows also available on Stitcher, and the show is now available on YouTube as well. You can actually listen to the show on YouTube as well. Going forward, all of the episodes that we release on the website will also release on all of those platforms, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes, as well as the site. So be sure to basically hear us and listen to us wherever you have a device. We are everywhere now. We are omnipresent. That's scary. Are, are You really are taking over the world. This was I, your plan. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's, yeah. it's a long time coming, but I'm trying. Maybe um, Ra's al Ghul, maybe you're the benefactor to Ra's. <laughs> I should have guessed you. All right. So with that, uh, be sure to also leave us comments on the website for the next episode. If you leave comments, let's say on YouTube, I'll try to feed those in. Or if you leave us comments on Facebook or Twitter, I'll try to feed those into the website. Um, But one of the other things that we're trying to do with the new version of the website is to kind of incorporate all of those different social media sites into the comment section as well. So that's just another thing to look forward to. But in the meantime, leave your comments on the episode post on the website, and we will read those comments on the next episode. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. Uh, Be nice to people. Love each other. Hashtag Charlottesville. This is Stella. You have been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. (laughs) 